be based on what we just saw. But uh, thanks again. Thank you, uh, Fabian, Gus, and Tony, for bringing the fifth graders together. I mean, the, the fifth graders are so excited to come on Sundays uh, because they, they have so much uh, that they have to look forward to, and they're learning a lot, too. So parents of those fifth graders, you know what to expect from your good neighbors now, all right? So if they're treating their sister badly or their brother badly or you, you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, all right? So they can be a great neighbor to them. But this is a great segue into what we just finished with the Broken Christianity series that we did the past three weeks. Because real Christianity is what we get to see that Jesus in telling this story about the Good Samaritan. And as I was thinking about this story and, and writing notes for it for this week, it was pretty, I mean, I, I was actually dumbfounded. Because this is one of two stories where Jesus answers the question, how do you attain eternal life? Two times in the New Testament, someone came to Jesus to ask him, how do I attain eternal life? Do y'all remember the two? You got one with the rich young ruler. We talked about it a few weeks ago, how he came to Jesus humbly and asked, how can I inherit eternal life? And then you have the other one, which we're going to talk about today with the Good Samaritan. The rich young ruler, he came humbly, bowed in front of Jesus and wanted the answer of eternal life. But then we contrast that with the expert of the law who had the same question, what must I do to attain eternal life? Both answers with the rich young ruler. Do y'all remember what Jesus ended up telling him? Go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and the most important part, and then come follow me. And the man walked away sad because he had great wealth. And then here in the Good Samaritan, we're going to read about how or what a neighbor is and how we can be a good neighbor. Uh, to our fellow man and woman. But the thing I want to point out before we look here in, in Luke 10 is that both of the answers to these questions are right in line with the greatest two commandments. Because what's the greatest commandment, right? Love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the two instances that we have of Jesus being approached by individuals of how to inherit eternal life, Jesus is very consistent. Love God more than anything else, your wealth, your possessions, everything that you have amassed in your lifetime, love God more than anything else. But don't forget to take care of your neighbor. Because 1 John talks about how can you hate your fellow brother who you see and then love God who you don't see. So we're going to focus on the second of the greatest two commandments today when it comes to being a good neighbor. Good neighbor. So let's pray, and then we'll hop into Luke chapter 10. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, I do thank you for 
uh, just the talent we have in our fifth and sixth grade, uh, just their hearts uh, to not only entertain, but to tell, the, tell a story that if we apply it, that we can inherit eternal life and be with you in heaven one day. I thank you for stories like these that you, you try to simplify for us. Following you is not complicated. It may be hard, but it's definitely not complicated. We must love you. We must learn how to love you and then love our fellow man. I pray as we walk out here this afternoon that we all can gather something that can help us love the person next to us even deeper. To love the person that sits across the cubicle from us at our job more deeply. The student next to us, the band member uh, that walks uh, in our line, that we can learn how to love deeper. We love you, and all this we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you guys are not there yet, let's turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And I'm going to quickly go through this since we practically just lived it out uh, with the, uh, the fifth graders here. But uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'll start here. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as himself. This, uh, this individual, this expert of the law, not only did he know his Bible, but he may was present when Jesus had answered this question uh, earlier in his ministry on what the greatest commandment was. Verse 28, he says, Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took this opportunity to tell them a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We have this Pharisee. We have this expert of the law who came with the intent 
to test Jesus out. I don't know why you're here today. I don't know if it's to test Jesus out. I don't know if it's to see if the AC is working here at the building again or not. Maybe you're just answering a call from a friend that's been inviting you uh, for weeks, for months, for years. Or maybe you're visiting from Austin, Texas, uh, and you're here to worship uh, with some brothers and sisters in Dallas. But this expert of the law, he came to test Jesus. He answered correctly, but then what did he want it? He wanted to justify himself. You know, sometimes when it comes to our religious walk, instead of focusing on really following Jesus, sometimes we do want to justify ourselves, don't we? We want to, we want to, to bring some, some, I guess, some praise to ourselves of how much we learned, how much we've gained in not just our walk with Jesus, but out of our own intellect and understanding. And so he begged the question, who is my neighbor? Now, I got a, a little picture here. Jesus said, I want a man was traveling from down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I don't know if you guys actually seen a map from Jerusalem to Jericho, but Jericho is actually north east of Jerusalem. But even though it's northeast, Jesus says, you go down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I was wondering, like, how do you go down when you're going up, right? Did Jesus misspeak? But one of the things after doing some, some research, Jerusalem, you may have heard this before, but Jerusalem is built on a hill. It's built on a plateau. So Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Contrast that to Jericho, which is some 14 miles away, depending on which, what trek you take, it's 800 feet below sea level. So you have Jericho that's in a valley, and you have Jerusalem, which is in a hill. So if I'm traveling from a hill down to the valley, am I going down? You're going down. And so Jesus is telling this story, and there's so many different parallels that you can think about. Because the man, he was alone, right? He was by himself. And this other picture that I have here, it shows kind of the trek of that land. And this doesn't sound like, or this doesn't look like at least a place for me that I would want to travel alone. Right? I'm not that good, number one, out in the wilderness. You know, I'm a city boy. I grew up in the suburbs, right? So this is foreign to me. This is what I see on TV. But this man made this journey by himself. Some 14, 15, 16 miles, some 3,300 feet down, and he ended up being robbed. He ended up being beaten and stripped. Jesus is telling this story, trying to help the Pharisee, the expert of the law, to see what it truly means to live a life of Christ. So he tells them this story. He gives them the detail. He could have picked any other city in Israel, but he picked Jericho, a place that you have to go down into to visit. 
And I don't know if he made that correlation because of the spiritual health of Jerusalem during the time. I don't know if he was trying to even help the man to see that if you don't watch out, you can be in the valley too, just like this man. All speculation. But one thing that Jesus was wanting this man to see, this Pharisee, is that what does it take to truly be someone that is of God? So look at this here. You got the man, he was traveling alone, susceptible to robbers. And sometimes in our spiritual walk, do you ever feel that you're alone when you're spiritual walk? That you're the only one on that road. You're, you're traveling down the plateau, down into the valley, and there's no one there to watch your back. There's no one to say, hey, watch out. Someone is coming. Or even traveling in the groups, which typically deters people from robbing you when you travel in groups. Uh, I know the, uh, the Aguilars had a, a daughter, was that last year, that went to Europe. But she didn't go alone. Uh, Maya, you went with your soccer team, right? It would have been totally different if Maya would have came to Julian and Ileana and said, hey, you know what? I want to go to Europe, but by myself. <laughs> I know I'm just a sophomore going into my junior year or junior year going into my sophomore year going into my junior year. But, hey, I got it. You know, I got eyes in the back of my head, right? They're like, no, you're going to be in Wiley. You're not going to be in Europe, right? Because it's a certain comfort level that we have when we have a group that's traveling with us as opposed to being alone. And Jesus is making this, making this because this is the spiritual place that many of us and definitely many of the people that we're reaching out to, they're in that place. Where spiritually, they're alone. Where emotionally and mentally, they're alone. They don't have anyone to confide in. They don't understand what Jesus is calling them to with community. They don't go to single conferences and understand that we can have heaven on earth right now. So Jesus is taking the time to draw this picture for the expert of law to help him understand where he is and where he should be. You know, I think about having people close to you to help you out. Having people that surround you. I remember back, I mean, we're going to go down memory lane right quick. We're going we're gonna to go some 32 years ago. Back when I was six years old, we lived in an apartment in Richardson. Actually, this was before uh, Jay was even born, uh, my brother, because uh, he's seven years younger than me. I was riding my bike, and I loved riding my bike. You know, I, I could ride with no hands for about two or three seconds. You know, and it was a custom in our apartment complex. We had this big parking lot, but right in the middle of the parking lot, you had all the mailboxes. You know, so everybody would come to that place uh, to get their mail. And what me and my friends would do, we would ride around the mailboxes on our bikes. And I remember one time, and I remember it so vividly, and then I blacked out. But I remember up until this point that I was riding my bike, and I was right behind my friend. And I remember looking because our tires, his back tire and my front tire was getting real close to each other. And I remember looking down, I was like, man, this is not good. And then sure enough, my tire hits the back of his tire. 
my handlebars does 90 degrees, I fall down, black out on the concrete. Bl Next thing I remember, someone's dad is calling me too because they had picked me up and took me to the sidewalk and took care of me. And I can truly, as I think about this story of this man who was traveling and coming to and seeing this Samaritan man, this man who took the time to bandage his wounds, put him on his donkey so that he would walk on foot to give the man who was robbed an opportunity to not be in the elements and to be ravaged by some wild animal, but instead to be nursed back to health. And as I was reading this story and, and thinking about back when I was six years old, I was like, man, I mean, we've all had those friends where when accidents happen, they run, right? And you don't see them again. But my friend ended up going and get his dad and helping me out. Instead of just being in the middle of the driveway, some six-year-old boy out, people speculate, I don't know how he got here. Someone took the opportunity to care for me. Someone took the opportunity to pick me up. I mean, I probably was 60 pounds, 50 pounds. I don't know how much I was then. But how often in our spiritual walk has someone came and picked you up? Someone came and they noticed the predicament, predicament you was in. Because for sure, I didn't notice it. I was blacked out. I was knocked out. And you think about this man who was robbed and beaten. He might have been under that same predicament. He was knocked out. He didn't know what was happening, what had happened, until he woke up and saw that Samaritan. He saw that neighbor. And I got three quick points on how we can be a good neighbor. Because who, who is a good neighbor? How do we live out the second greatest commandment? First thing that we must do, we got to be connected with the hurt. We must be connected with the hurt. What do you mean? What do I mean about this? In verse 33, same chapter, Luke chapter 10, it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw them, saw him, he took pity on him. And this is after two other gentlemen, religious gentlemen, preachers maybe just like myself. They saw the man and passed right by. And other, in order for us to be a good neighbor, we have to connect with the hurt. You know, we have this fellowship break every week because fellowship is essential with our walk with God. And I know I'm always, I mean, it just helps, it just helps me connect with God when I get to talk with you guys. When I get to give you guys hugs, when I get to hear what's happening in your life. But are we taking advantage of this break? You know, we're here at church, right? We, we should be able to talk, so talk to someone when we're worshiping. But if we're not talking with someone here, what are we doing when we leave this building? What are we doing in our neighborhoods? 
Are we taking the opportunity to connect with the hurt? Because you, sometimes you can see hurt on people's face, right? In this case with the Good Samaritan, he saw the man on the ground, beaten, bloodied, naked. So it was obvious that this man was hurt. But in many instances, you got to get to know someone in order to see their hurt, right? You got to have a couple meals together. And you might have to buy one of those meals at least once, right? To get down to that level where they can feel comfortable of sharing their hurt. And guys, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate example of connecting with those that will hurt, we must connect with them. But one thing that we got to watch out for, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, we won't turn there, but it talks about how when you're trying to help someone, you got to watch out that you don't fall in sin yourself. And I can see that that might be the reason why the priest and the Levite didn't help the gentleman in Jesus' story, right? They're like, maybe the, maybe the robbers are still waiting. Maybe they stayed, right? They're waiting for some good neighbor to come help this man, and then we're going to pounce on him as well. That might have been going through their mind. It was all hypothetical, right? It was a story Jesus told, right? But I'm hypothetically putting myself in the story that Jesus hypothetically told, right? That they might have been thinking that. But then you have this good neighbor who says, I don't care. I don't care if someone is waiting. I call him my donkey to donkey kick him if I need to, right? Because I'm going to help this gentleman out. Because sometimes when we, when we extend our heart to help someone, we got to be ready to get hurt. We got to be ready to take some sacrifice, right? Because the dude ended up paying money. He ended up paying money so that someone could take care of this gentleman while he took care of business. And, I mean, we got many cases of parents, of disciples in this room who are in hospice care, and it is not cheap to take care of someone, right? And this man said, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to take the opportunity to give you some money so that you can take care of this man, because I still got some business to attend to. And we're going to come back to that here in a second. But first, we must connect with the hurt. But secondly, Jesus calls us to do what's in our power to help. Just what's in your power. You know, we don't have a million dollars to give. We don't have four or five houses on the beach to give. So, of course, Jesus doesn't expect that from us. But what do you have to give? You can give some conversation during our fellowship break. You can clap for our fifth graders when they uh, pour out their hearts at the Good with the Good Samaritan place. You know, you can ask the brother or the sister next to you, hey, how's your day doing? We have different things that we can do, right? God doesn't expect us to do things that we can't do. He wants us to do the things that we can do. What is he putting on your heart right now of to do? What is he telling you for our team ministry? What is God saying that you can do? What opportunities do you have in your high schools? 
in the clubs that you're a part of, that you can offer something. You may not make the six figures like your parents. You may not even have a car. You may not even have a bike to crash, right? But what do you have? You got an able body. You got conversation. You got a warm smile that you can use. But it don't matter where we are in life, we always have something to offer, amen? And I'm, I'm glad God made us in the way, and he took the pressure off of us. He was like, hey, what you have, that's what I expect. When, he, when Jesus talked about the talents, the parable of the talents, he's like, I'm not expecting more out of you than what I have already given you. If I give you one talent, if I give you three talents, I give you five talents, I give you a hundred talents. I just expect you to do with what you have, amen? We must do what's in our power to help. Because what did the man have? He had a donkey, right? He could have walked right past. Oh, man, since I don't have a horse, I can't help him. I got to keep going. Man, if I was like Jason Regan, he probably got a horse. If I was like Tom Briscoe, I know he has a horse, right? Since I'm not Tom, I can't help out. That's, that's not what Jesus is asking, right? That's not the point he was trying to make. He was trying to make, what do you have right now? We all have cell phones, right? What can we do with this cell phone? Hopefully it's not just playing games, right? We can connect with other people. We can make those phone calls. Hey, Jonathan, man, you did a great job playing the piano earlier today. Oh, it's not a piano, it's a keyboard? Okay, yeah, that's awesome too, man. Uh, you did a great job with it, right? Whatever we have, let's use it for the glorification of the Lord, amen? amen. And then the last thing, the last little lesson out of who's the good neighbor, how do we live out being a good neighbor? Number three, he gets help from others to help the hurting. We get help from others to help the hurting. Because sometimes what do we do? We think all the weight of the world is on our shoulders. You know, JC might be thinking, hey, I'm the only one that can do this. I'm the only one that can come to the rescue. That's not what this man, and this is not Jesus trying to articulate with this story. Because what did the man end up doing? He had business to take care of. So he said, hey, can you help? Here's some money. Because I can't do both two things in one time, so I'm going to solicit help. And I think about just as we, the people that have invested into the lives of the people that we have here right now. You know, it was awesome. Uh, this past Labor Day, uh, we got to do some swimming. But then after swimming, we got to see a baptism. And we got to see our sister in Christ, Alicia Easterwood, if you stand up real quickly, got baptized this past Labor Day. And the awesome thing, and I, I love how God designs it, is that it's always a team effort. You got people, you know, you got Judy who reached out to her. You got the, the Plano City group who really put their arms around her. You got her husband who had many great conversations. So many different people 
that God puts in our life at the right time to help us out. But sometimes we think that I got to do it by myself. I'm the only one that can do that. I know this person well. I I can do it. But God says, hey, we got, I've given you so much. Call on the help. Call on the help of people. Call on the elders. Call on the older. Call on the Bible talk leaders. Call on the teens. Call on the singles. Call on the marrieds. Call on anybody that is willing to be a neighbor to the people that we're reaching out to. Amen. Because God has unlimited resources, even though you and I have limited resources. And that's an awesome thing, amen. Because if I think about all these different conferences and camps that we had, we had almost a dozen kids go to camp that their families couldn't afford it, but they were able to go because God has unlimited resources. You know, God, he always is able to come through when it's in line with what he wants, right? And just the problem is sometimes we got to align ourselves into what he's doing. So if we connect with the hurt, if we can do what's in our power, what God has equipped us with to help, and if we can help get other people to help us, guys, the sky will be the limit. You think about how God set it up. Was Jesus in alone in his ministry? No, he had the 12 disciples, apostles with him. And some other 120 to 500, depending on when you're talking about in his ministry. When he died and went to heaven, was it just Peter who preached the word and nobody else did anything? No, he had other disciples with him. Even the great Paul who wrote Many of the books of the New Testament, was he by himself? No, he had Barnabas with him. Who's going to be your road dog? You know, who's going to be your partner that's going to help many people get to know about the gospel? Many people that learn what real Christianity is. To know what it is truly to be a neighbor to everyone that we come in contact with. I'll tell you this. Sometimes we don't want to be a neighbor for a few reasons. Might be too busy because we got other priorities. We might have bad examples of what a neighbor is, right? Sometimes what we've been taught, it's too much flaw even within that. Sometimes we're just selfish. (laughs) I just don't want to. I would love to help this man out, but not today. And then sometimes we're just hurting too much ourselves. And we feel that we have nothing to offer. But I tell you, as long as we have Jesus to offer, no matter what the hurt is, we have something. Amen. I want to show a little map here of people that have decided to be neighbors. You know, we got our Dallas County group. We meet at our 9 a.m. service and 12 p.m. service. And... While we've been here, we had two city group leaders. We had uh, Chad and Marvy Demarcus, who lead the Richardson group, and then we had me and my wife, uh, who led the, the group East, Garland, Mesquite, Sunnyvale, Rockwall. And one thing that my wife and I was praying about 
is that, man, we need some people that's ready to be neighbors and take on the city group as city group leaders, where they're overseeing different small groups and trying to invigorate them with the boldness and courage that comes through Jesus. And I'm very glad to tell you is that even though we started off with two city group leaders, we now have four. Amen. We got the Democracies, who's leading the Richardson group. They still continue to re, uh, lead the Richardson Dallas group. You got Clinton down to Mosley. They answered the call and said, hey, we'll do it for the Garland City group. And then you have the Markowitzes, uh, who are taking over the Wiley, the Saxe, the, the Murphy group. And then you got Joe and Angela Laura, who have the Lake Ray Hubbard group, which is Mesquite, Rockwall, Sunnyvale. These are individuals, these are couples who said, hey, I'm ready to answer the call. I'm ready to help the hurting. I'm ready to suit up and be put into the game. Who's going to be our next city group leader? The Richardson group, the Richardson Dallas group, they got almost 60 people. We need another city group leader there. And as God continues to bring in the harvest, we're going to need people that's in this room right now to be ready to step up and do and be that good neighbor for God and his kingdom. And I'm very certain that we will have people step up when the time comes. But I'm telling you right now, that time is right now. It's time as we continue to cultivate, we continue to get into the God's word. We must answer the call. I'll leave you with two questions. Number one, to whom are you a neighbor? Who are you a neighbor to right now? Who are you taking the time to bandage up the spiritual wounds, to have the emotionally charged conversations so that you can help that man or woman realize that God has greatness in store for them? Are you having quiet times together or your walk with God for the singles? I know y'all talked about a little bit that, about quiet times, inside joke. That wasn't that funny. <laughs> Praying together. Praying with that person. Being able to take, sometimes it's, it's, it's just lending an ear to that person so they could share what's on their heart. Who are you a neighbor to? Who are you spending time with? Then my second question for us is whom are you allowing to be your neighbor? Are you allowing the person next to you, the person in your household, the person in your ministry to care for you? Because sometimes we don't see that we need care. Everybody else can see it, but we just don't see it. But if people continue to reach out to you, that's your sign from God, amen? amen? To let them in, to let them help, and let them be a neighbor to you. You know, the expert of the law, he came to Jesus to ask him, what must he do to, etern to inherit eternal life? Jesus illustrated to him, this is what you need to be 
to inherit eternal life. You're thinking about a checklist, expert of the law, of what you need to do. Jesus said, I'm here to transform, to help you be what you need to be for your fellow neighbor. We must be those that genuinely love, those that genuinely care, and those that would genuinely take time to reach out to our neighbor. You know, as we take the bread, we take the juice right now, I pray that each and every one of us, wherever you are in life right now, that you either allow someone to be a neighbor to you or you get ready to be a neighbor for someone else. Because this world, as I mentioned earlier while we was having the interview, this world is hurting. We had a shooting in Cincinnati last week. We had a cop erroneously shoot a man that was unarmed because Satan is alive and he's working. These things happen not so that we can get all in a huff and get our picket signs out. These things are reminders that we must be a neighbor to any and everyone that comes in our path. That God set up a hill by Jesus so that we can be a light, amen? And as we take the bread, as we take the juice, that's what it's about. It's not about how many times you come to our services. It's not about how many songs do you know by heart. It's about are you going to love God and are you going to show your love for God by loving his creation? And as we take the bread, as we take the juice, let's vow that we will be those that truly do love our neighbors. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, it's humbling. It's humbling to know that you have sent us so much to get our attention. You have come down in the flesh by your son Jesus to illustrate what it truly is to be a good neighbor. Ecclesiastes tells us that pity the man that falls down and have no one to help them. I pray that no one in this room feels that isolated, feel that alone, that they have no person that cares. They have no one that will lend an ear to them. They have no one that will share a meal to them. They have no one that is ready to love and share compassion with them. And if they do feel that, I pray for us as disciples that we, we answer the call, that we take the opportunity to get to know the people that are around us, that we take the time to help out those that are hurting. I thank you for laying the standard out. I thank you for being an example for us because you have helped each and every person in this room at some point in time while we were hurting. I thank you. We love you. And all this we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.